0: Hello everyone, welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized pastoral care services, Christian counseling and ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. By nature, I am a pragmatist? (laughs) Very pragmatic. Uh, By nature, however, I think all humans are pragmatic. I think in the sense that if you can't, again, intellectually process it, as then would be also viscerally experience it, then the likelihood most of us would say is, well, if I can't figure out how it works, it really must not either really work, or it must not really even exist. It must be some sort of illusion, a figment of my imagination. I think a lot of people would see the Word of God in that context. Well, I can't really viscerally see it, touch it, taste it, feel it, smell it, (laughs) hear it. Uh, It must not really be. And with that then, even if I might think I saw something, even if I might think I have felt a little bit of something... If I can't explain it, then for sure, it doesn't really exist. Uh, Science is a very pragmatic pursuit. Uh, The empirical model, research methodology, uh, hypothetical reasoning. Uh, And I love science. (laughs) And so, that's why I begin the podcast with that confession. I'm probably... As much anyone, maybe even more so than some, inclined to be pragmatic, a pragmatist. But even in my somewhat doubt, disbelief, my Thomas nature, uh, as I have over the years studied the Bible, I have come to the conclusion it more than passes mustard. M-U-S-T-E-R. Not mustard. Mustard. When it comes to pragmatics, uh, actually the Bible is full of witnesses. And though I maybe have never seen it, touched it, tasted it, felt it, heard it, smelled it. <laughs> doesn't mean it doesn't exist. They tell me now that there's aliens, that somebody has Seen it, smelled it, touched it, I guess smelled it, uh, experienced it in those visceral terms. And I suppose I'm supposed to believe that. That's all coming from science, although I'm not sure the Bible would disagree with that. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, "I come to prepare a place for you, or I will go to prepare a place for you and then come again as with Jesus. Acts. And what chapter? Chapter 8. And we're deliberating still. There's only three verses ahead of four. Imagine that. Let's go ahead and start with chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And this would again be Stephen. And at that time, the stoning of Stephen. Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. I would want to think Paul, Saul, Paul, was a pragmatist as well. I would like to think the Old Testament is a very pragmatic uh, compilation of books that really then do just that. Meet past muster. When it comes to the validity of not only God, but also then whatever would maybe come out of the New Testament, you need to set it upon a foundation or a platform that would satisfy the human (laughs) intellect Uh, highest order of research, scientific methodology, hypothetico reasoning, and I do think that that's what the Old Testament does. It presents to us in the most pithy, concise, succinct manner all those witnesses, the testimonies. I would think then, even so, Saul, Being a Pharisee, knowing very, very well all of that Old Testament stuff, probably was the Hawkins, Stephen Hawkins, of his time, his day. I don't want to take anything away from Saul, simply because I'm akinning him to Stephen Hawkins. But Stephen Hawkins was an atheist by self-proclamation, I'm not sure Saul was an atheist. Uh, I don't know that he was quite at the point where he was willing to admit that to himself, but it was coming. He was very close to that moment where he was at the end of himself. And then all that your pragmatism, your science, your logic, your reasoning, your highest order of human thought and thinking, contrary to the emotional reactive stuff... The pensive, the abstract, the constructive, the, again, logical, the reasoned, the analytical, <laughs> frontal cortex, all of that brain, frontal regions, cerebral cortex, all of that would lead you to, is in the end, there's no such thing as God. I think a lot of individuals, I believe, a lot of individuals who become atheists, who grow up being taught uh, the Word of God, really never grow up. <laughs> and they only go so far. And that's only as far as their human apparatus can take them. Not only in terms of their sensory input, sensorium, what they can viscerally take in, But also in that box, then that that represents, they can only conceptualize, they can only apply abstract thinking, constructive, kind of fluid thoughts along the lines of imagination and putting together all of the facts in this sort of way that allows them to then go a bit further take it a bit further, seek out a bit more, understand there's a lot to life that not only in material dimension lies outside the scope, as with, again, aliens, of our empirical pursuits, our pragmatism, but that even so, material life itself is our coffin. (gasps) it 's really our burial cloth it 's the stuff of which that will guarantee <laughs> atheism, the stuff of which that will give up on God, the stuff of which will say, Oh well, when I was a child, this is Paul, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put away child. No, that would have been the end of it. When I was a child, I thought as a child, and no, all this is just. Cunningly devised fables. Oh, I get it now. It's like when you were six years old and you thought there were all these creatures and all these entities, and there's the zodiac and there's astrology and there's all these gods for everything. And who wouldn't? And those are, oh, so entertaining. And even the heathen. <laughs> believe such things and maybe you could justify it as a bit more noble in that well we at least tried to do a bit more with it than that but you really need to know that it's all been just sort of a fantasy and we have to kind of keep it quiet or if we're gonna come right out we've got to like be in your face blow it all up so that everybody sobers up real quick and they don't live in such the fantasies because you know when you live in those fantasies that's when we can't really see things for what they are and we just need to accept Then this is our plight and then maybe we can make it as good as possible. No! I am a pragmatist but I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am a Christian. I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I've grown up. I stopped thinking as a child. I put away childish things. So that as a man, and yet even so still to a glass darkly, one day I will see face to face, because one day the grave cloths will be removed. One day Lazarus will come forth of the tomb. Arise! One day Jesus will come again. One day I will be set free from my own sepulcher, my own, the tomb of my own making, my own coffin. And understand, wait a minute. Who am I to think that what I think is everything there is to either think or even in my best of thinking, I could not begin to understand, comprehend, conceptualize all that there is of God. All there is of even material reality. But certainly, if I don't allow myself to accept and therein not only think it, But as I corrected myself a moment ago, believe it, I'm going to end up being an atheist in the end. (laughs) Why? Because there's no God in material existence. God is the creator of material existence. God can work through, I want to make sure I say this right, work through material existence. But material existence, the elements, they possess no life. God is life. God is a spirit. They that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a pragmatist, much like Saul. They knew the Old Testament very, very well. Nicodemus, though, was able to come to Jesus before the pragmatism but for the atheism, the conclusion of that being agnostic, atheistic, whatever you want to call it, it's denying the power that is God could manifest himself in a resurrected Christ. And again, then add to the Old Testament, New Testament, New Covenant. Not only upon a foundation, one of the two flaming swords, piercing, dividing asunder, the sword of two sides, piercing, dividing asunder, soul and spirit, joined and morrow. But the New Testament, as it then would, in Old Testament context, be that the body has at least intellectually gotten to the end of itself. I think on the road to Damascus, Paul came to the end of himself. When he was stoning Stephen, or at least there while Stephen was being stoned, doesn't say that he stoned him, but I'm sure it's of the same mindset, the same paradigm. But I think Paul was a bit above that, at least in the sense of the murderer directly, although he did consider himself to be a murderer. And he was wreaking havoc with the church and with all those that dared to believe. Because it was threatening to him. And what was threatening? That literally, it came down to a realization that if there was no more, or somebody believed there was more, then he'd have to die to himself. And with that, what does he have ahead of himself? The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. The Pharisees did. So Paul had that to his advantage still. But this is, once again, the context of what verse 4 begins with. And at the same time, I want to make sure that we note that the church was being really then persecuted and scattered. Any that believed were being destroyed, threatened by life and limb, except for the apostles. Verse 4, therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. (laughs) Which is, again, to the great advantage of the church. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. This is Philip. Now, again... Why could Philip do the miracles? I believe (laughs) there is a power beyond anything that I could conceive of. I believe, as with testimony of Jesus Christ in resurrection, I believe sick are healed. I believe dead are resurrected. I believe we are transfigured. I believe in the power of Christ to heal Materially, but more so to liberate spiritually. But it is the spiritual liberation of the resurrection of the heaven to come that Jesus demonstrated, not only in very empirically sound as with Old Testament, Jesus did not disagree with the Old Testament. He came not to overturn it, but to fulfill it. But it is only taking you so far except that you would then admit you are not going to be able to go any further until you can accept that simply because you can't taste it, touch it, feel it, it, see it, experience it, smell it, hear it, that it doesn't exist. And I think that's why God chose to manifest himself in supernatural dimensions. In supernatural ways, in material dimensions, using the elements, even in the Old Testament. Burning bushes, there were those that were resurrected, there were thunderous voices, there were apparitions, there were angels, there were visions. All of those were ways that God was trying to break through what? Lazarus, come forth. What? Roll the stone away. What? There is something inside of you that is greater than anything that you could even begin to imagine and because you can't imagine it and you're not really yet beyond your fears of the unknown, there's something out there. You won't even consider it, Paul, until you're broken. And then... We could only pray. The scales would be removed from your eyes. And Jesus would speak to you. Why are you pushing against the goads? Why are you holding back? Why won't you let this power, the promise of which I've given unto you, take place in your life? Don't you see? <laughs> oh, Sorry, you can't. The scales are on your eyes. Those that are blinded by science are those that are scared to accept that science can only take you so far. Not because science is faulty. Not because the Old Testament isn't the mind of God. But we can't conceptualize it. We can't consider it except through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And... Good for us, God distributes his spirit liberally. He doesn't withhold anything from anyone that would be willing to seek it out or at least be open to receiving it. Simon the Sorcerer. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. Verse 7. And this is still unto Philip's charge. And there was great joy in the city, or in that city. And why wouldn't there be? It's all this that I've been saying. If you're an atheist, you don't enjoy all of this. You do, you pay money, you go to theaters. (laughs) <laughs> you do. You read books. You do. You live in the land of your own imagination, which is also bound by your own experiences. Because you're not getting any of that from the Holy Spirit. You're only getting that from that spirit that is carnal, that is lethal, that is mortality, that is death within you. Mortality as with lethal It will eventually kill you. It's at your hands that you choose death over life if you don't accept Jesus. Philip, in very stark contrast, was offering life. He was showing the power. And why? Because he was possessed of it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in full manifestation had shown himself and began to then live from within him. Yes, it could. you could say it came down upon them. Yes, it was manifest. Yes, it took Jesus to bring the manifestation to fruition. But it was given long before. It was given when God blessed us with His Spirit. It's just we've put it in a grave and killed ourselves at the urging of the devil of Satan. Let the scales fall off your eyes. Philip had seen the resurrected Christ. He had been there the day of Pentecost. It came as with cloven tongues of fire. And maybe it was in a more immediate way the first time. Maybe there is no past, present, and future. God doesn't live in that. Maybe the cloven tongues of fire were the same ones that God then breathed life. And we just, because we have been given time, past, present, and future for the sake of sanctification and our salvation until preservation, even until the day of our awakening, (laughs) maybe it all bleeds into one. Maybe there's only the present. Maybe there's only the moment you're in, as in on the Mount of Transfiguration. There was Moses, there was Elijah, and there was Jesus. And then whatever was to come was not going to be in time and space. Moses and Elijah representative of that. Jesus as in the present, but also Jesus as in bridging the gap between the Old Testament. Elijah still Old Testament, but he went up as when a whirlwind the fire. Moses! <laughs> And didn't even cross into the promised land. And here's Jesus. He's going to take us all up. It's in a whirlwind of fire, and those cloven tongues may be going two ways. Not only are they coming down, but maybe we're going up, and maybe it's never ended. Maybe it's never been disrupted. Maybe it's just always been there. But we've just never seen it, and because we think in those sort of terms of past, present, and future, that's the only way we could conceptualize it or understand it, and then translate it, communicate it, Enoch. But Jesus was there then, as is now, as will be in the future. But in the book of Revelation, all of that comes together in singular form as one. It is a fascinating thought. And it could be somewhat mind-blowing, and it could be somewhat overwhelming, and it could be somewhat scary, because all the things that we think we know have to give way, and all the things that otherwise in thinking what we know supports our identity of who we are and what we are in material dimension. We need to die to that, though, so that we can begin to be in identity, one with Christ. Simon, the sorcerer. But there was a certain man called Simon. Simon who previously in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself with some great one, to whom they all gave, gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that for a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip am preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, the legitimate, authentic kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ. Surprise to everyone's amazement. They were baptized, both men and women. And what were they baptized of? I'm not saying it wasn't water, but I'm also not saying it wasn't the same baptism of the Holy Spirit that they experienced on the day of Pentecost. And I'm also not only saying that it may have been the same baptism as the disciples received in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, but it's available to you because it's never been denied you. You put yourself in the tomb at the devil's insistence. You allowed the devil to trick you into forfeiting eternal life. You have condemned yourself in the life that you have been given in material regards, which does have a past, present, and future reference to it. Context. But it's just matter. There's no life in that. Life is a spiritual thing. (laughs) And those that worship God, again, worship him in spirit and this truth. Philip knew that. He was showing them power, not only in context of testimony, his own belief, he had been converted and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and now as with then his identity aligned with Christ, had his place in not only the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of heaven secured. He was offering this to these individuals. And guess what? There was credibility in it. It wasn't just, oh, imagine this, or, oh, let me trick you into that, or let me con you into believing this, or that, or maybe it's just the power of persuasion. I do think, even so, the devil knows if you bind yourself to death, and then all malady and sickness comes out of that, unnaturally so, the human body is going to die anyhow, but it doesn't have to die sick. It doesn't have to be diseased. It doesn't have to experience infirmity. Sin is disease and infirmity. Iniquity is the manifestation of the fullness of that. So Simon was a little smarter maybe than even Saul. Maybe even to some extent Nicodemus, although I do believe Nicodemus accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior when he came to Christ. I know he was part of Those that rightly revered the body of Christ, even after the crucifixion, I have no doubt that he is among the saints. I don't know about Simon. I know Paul is too, but it took that kind of identity change, Saul to Paul. But Simon was a pretty smart guy. I think he understood psychosomatics. I think he understood conversion disorders. I think he understood how physical sickness was really a manifestation of spiritual ill. It's the separation of us from God. It's the separation of us from God because we've not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's the sway of the devil. It's the adversary and the enemy. It's a preoccupation with your mortality. It's a preoccupation with the preservation of your identity. Whatever you believe, however you've come to believe it. It's those individuals that share in that belief as with the Tower of Babel who seal your fate and doom if it's not established in Jesus Christ. And even if it is established in Jesus Christ, watch out for the traditions of men. Because that's how tempting it is to hold on to who you are. I know you can't wholesale that. You can't, like, all of a sudden forget who you are and become shrooms. (laughs) Ego death. You can't do that without the risk of a bad trip. And even so... If it's not an entirely bad trip, we now, in scientific, empirical terms, believe you need a guide. And who's that guide going to be? I guess it's going to be folks like me, who understand the psychology of it, who've received the doctorate or the training not only in divinity or the Word of God, but also know that in human terms so that we might lead them and guide them. But it's the blind leading the blind. It's no different than a religious cult. And you can get a lot of traction out of religious cults. (laughs) They'll lead you to nowhere but over the cliff, as with the swine. There are many legion, as the Bible would describe it. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So there's the contrast, but then there's the conversion. Simon was probably a pretty finished product. Again, I don't know exactly where he is. Maybe he is amongst the saints. I don't know that I get the same confirmation as I do with Nicodemus. And again, Saul being changed to Paul. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. So maybe again, going back to verse 12, maybe it was then blood and water baptism, They'd come to that point, but they had not received the fullness of that yet. And with that, the testimony of Philip had then, even as possibly John the Baptist, established. This is as far as it goes. There'll be one that comes whose shoes, the latchets, I'm unworthy of unbuckling. <laughs> There'll come one who is greater than me, and as I, as he increases, I must decrease. There'll be a a dove that comes down in a voice. It's audible. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is the passing on of the mantle of Elijah to Elisha. Elisha, Elisha. Then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm sure that... As much as laying on of hands could mean in, again, physical dimension, it could also just basically mean they too then got involved in their life. Not only was it something they heard of, not only was it something that Philip came and showed evidence of, but even as with Jesus, Jesus laid hands on the disciples, and to the extent or degree that before Jesus laid hands on them, they were not capable of all these things that they're now capable of, as in once Jesus did that and then the impartation of the Holy Spirit came, maybe it's the same thing. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands of the Holy Spirit was given, He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. Again, Simon was no dummy. (laughs) And believing that he believed and accepted that there was a power greater, maybe, again, this is just a little a priori, a little before even he received the impartation of the Holy Spirit in that way. I am not aware of any verse that confirms that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but certainly talking about money showed that he was still a bit confused and didn't really understand. This was not going to be anything that came from matter because there's no life in matter. There's no resurrection of life, material life even, if there isn't spiritual resurrection. And the resurrected body does not have to be a material one. It's just going to be described in those terms because Humans are not going to be able to grasp it unless we are told that. We will have a new name, so you'll know one another. Maybe they'll be like family and all of those things that we like to hold on to, but maybe they'll be like family and all those things like hold on to. But maybe we won't have to rely on any human identity or dimension. I don't know for sure. If I did, I'd say, I believe. Or I'd say, I think, which is a little lesser. But nonetheless, what Simon saw, he wanted. Saying, give me also this power that whosoever or whomsoever I lay hands, I may receive the Holy Spirit. He may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. Ah, Maybe he wasn't saved. This is I was trying to get to earlier. I think that we go back and forth, but don't let that be going back and forth on you. Learn. You do not want to be sifted in this way. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You don't want to straddle the fence. A double-minded man is unstable all his ways. Out of the same well can't come bitter and sweet, James. God does not withhold the wisdom of... He does not withhold that for them or to them who seek it. You've got to be confident. You've got to, or you're not going to receive it. And you're not going to receive it even if you should marginally benefit in some sort of sanctification way, preservation way, as I mentioned earlier. It's not going to ultimately save you. Verse 20, But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. I would have probably respected it more, than a bit more optimistic, hopeful about Simon's ultimate destination had he prayed it. And I think that's what the instructions, Peter's instructions were. You pray it now that I've called you out on it. But what is then the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity? It's all that sickness. It's all that disease It's all the things that Jesus has come to save us from. It's all those things that otherwise Philip was testifying and all the disciples were testifying and all those that believe were beginning to experience. It's life. It's spirit. It's Holy Spirit. It's Jesus breathing, again, the breath of life, returning that unto us. God did it first. Holy Spirit's there. Jesus just resurrects it. And thankfully, while we're still alive. But if you don't receive him and you don't accept the message and you don't allow when he says, come forth, Lazarus, then you're just going to die. You're going to turn out to be like Saul, embittered. And it will kill you. You've been part of wrapping yourself up in those gravecloths. There's no death in the Spirit except that you would not have resurrection. Power in the spirit, not because God hasn't already given it to you. It is there for you to operate in now. The devil can't steal that from you. God gave you eternal life when he gave you life because life is not in the flesh. It's in the spirit. You've rejected him. Your fear has been your grave cloths. It brings nothing but disease and then You'll be bitter. The same stuff that led those that did stone Stephen, and should it have been Saul? The murder, if you've thought it, you've done it. But you're killing yourself as much as you're killing others. And God is not going to bless that. So what's this got to do with counseling? Counseling. That's always the question, right? Everything. Because I am not going to be able to do any better for you than Philip. And certainly with that, any better for you than should it come to that, Simon, that you think this is all transactional, that somehow out of yourself in that reciprocity sort of way, that intellectual sort of No. The end of all reciprocity and transaction is material. It's matter, and matter, even though it's eternal, it's not alive, and it's the elements. But you don't want to just be dirt and clay. You want to have the breath of life. In the same way, whatever you bring for help with and to the counseling session, bring to me, to those that would counsel you at Covenants, Specialized Pastoral Care, Christian Counseling Ministry, they're not going to be able to do any more for you than what Peter and John did. (laughs) This stuff ain't transactional, folks. It's Jesus. And then they're going to keep taking you back not only to Jesus, but they're going to keep taking you back to the Holy Spirit because that's where healing and that's where life is. That's where resurrection is. Should you want to get a hold of us, 304-528-9220, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. Catch us on Facebook and YouTube at Covenants. I think I said covenantsonline.com. You can go there or you can visit us again on the next podcast. Uh, For all of those that may be faithful listeners, (laughs) you already know, we drop it weekly. And for those of you who may catch it now and then, We always drop a new one weekly, and you can find it on your favorite platform where you find all your podcasts. Until then, I want to bless you and wish you (laughs) the breath of life, all that God has in store for you, the power of the Holy Spirit, and even as much as, again, that is free and available to you, you don't need to come see me it's just the way I make my living. But I don't do that at the exploitation of Jesus. If you get Jesus, you got it all. But for those of you who do need, we don't take up tithes, we don't take up offerings. We're tent makers. (laughs) You have to exist in some sort of a way. And there's a lot of requirements that go with it that we're beholden to, given to Caesar, that which is Caesar's. There's all sorts of transactional things. I wish it were not so, folks, but it's true. But until we get a chance to meet again, I richly I would want to wish you the richest of blessings and uh, <laughs> just again say thanks.